Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everybody, welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, award-winning taxidermy and stuff you should always keep. We're taking their skin off like you would peel an orange, and then we're creating a structural um, representation of what's inside of them. Occasionally, I'll take what's called a death mask, and what that is is I'll make a very careful mold of the face. When I see the similarities, when I skin animals and I notice the similarities to humans, it's much more jarring than the differences. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. So our first guest is part scientist, part artist. And she specializes in bringing exotic and everyday animals back to life for museums and science centers. She's one of the best taxidermists in the world, and she's won all kinds of awards. This is taxidermist Alice Markham. So is this more of an art or more of a science? That's what I love about taxidermy is that it sits in a place between art and science. So I have to initially when I'm working on something, you know, you're very much a scientist in taking it all apart. Right. And then you really have to utilize artistic skills to reassemble the specimen, but then scientific ones to know how to make it biologically accurate. So you get to be both. And that's the fun of it. So I know nothing about this. And I'll be honest, like when I used to go to museums and places like that, I didn't realize those were real animals. I thought that this was something that they made like in graphics art department or something like that. (laughs) you're, You're using real animals, right? Yes, absolutely. So what'll happen is basically is an animal will die. These days, we're not so much going out to collect things like they did in the 17 and 1800s. Mostly today, an animal will die at a zoo or be found dead. Unfortunately, animals get hit by a car and then uh, an institution will acquire them, right? They'll put them in a freezer (laughs) is a fancy way to say. Um, And then they will come to me. I'll pick these up whole frozen. And um, then I will taxidermy them, right? So we take the the first part, as I said, was taking them apart, right? So we're skinning them, we're taking their skin off like you would peel an orange. And then we're creating a structural um, representation of what's inside of them. 
So there's no bones, there's no organs, the eyes are made out of glass, all of that. So really the only thing that's real on them is the skin. I mean, there are exceptions, right? In birds, you're going to leave in some of the bones, but for the most part, taxidermy, right? The arrangement of skin, taxidermy, it's just that. We're just arranging the skin. The rest is sculpture. I grew up, so in small town Kansas. And when I think of a taxidermist, like I think of Bob's taxidermy down the road. And I always heard it as referred to as like, hey, go get the animal stuffed. But he, <laughs> is, is is that what you're doing, but on a much higher level? Or is this a completely different kind of thing than like Gus, who could do the bobcat you shot for 20 bucks down the road, so to speak? Uh, well, Bob's taxidermy and Gus, they're doing essentially what I'm doing. They're not stuffing anything. In fact, fun fact, uh, if you're like, if you use the word stuffed or to stuff around taxidermist, like they'll, them's fighting Ooh. words. Oh, uh, I done committed the words. Yeah. You know How what? come though? I mean, it's kind of like... I'm trying to. It's disrespectful. It's like it's an oversimplification, right? Okay. Yeah, exactly. Because we're not stuffing anything. Um, What we're doing is, again, like we're creating this inner sculpture. Now, look, some people are going to go to more trouble to create that inner sculpture and bring a lot more art to it than others, right? So, you know, if it's like someone who does hunting trophies and all of that, even within that, there's different levels. Yeah, there's someone you can take some things to and very cheaply get something done and you'll get a cheap product back. But that's like any industry, right? You're going to get what you pay for. Taxidermist is the same thing. But the difference, I guess, between somebody who does trophy work or commercial taxidermy, as it's called, and then museum people is that we're always kind of doing custom work. Everything is, you know, we need it to outlive us. So it's different in that regard, but everybody is, it's still, everybody is still artists, right? How did you get into this? Like, was this something that you found yourself in or was this something that as a young girl you thought taxidermy? You know, it's funny. It's something I kind of came back to. I, I grew up Indiana and Florida and I loved nature and the outdoors and I would find bones and just be fascinated, right? I mean, I was just all of that, like coming home with like lizards in my pocket and stuff. Um, and did a lot of art growing up, did a lot of sculpture. And then somehow as an adult, I ended up in marketing, right? I worked for Disney and social media marketing. Um, and I was there for a while and I ended up making good enough money to quit. <laughs> Good enough money to be like, this is not what I want to do. I mean, I really looked around. I was director level at Disney in my mid-20s, and I was miserable. And so I looked around. I was like, what do I want to do? And I'd been collecting taxidermy for some time and like kind of playing with maybe wanting to learn how, how to do that and loved the Natural History Museum. And I answered that question for myself and being like, you know what? I want to work in museums and I want to be a taxidermist. So I really set out to do this. I didn't like find myself in it. Um, 
But uh, so then I quit my job at Disney and I went to a brief taxidermy program up in Montana, got back, stalked the museum taxidermist here in L.A. at, at Natural History Museum and like talked my way into an apprenticeship. I don't even know how. And um, yeah, it was over a decade ago. In terms of like a scientific, so to speak, education, like how long do you have to go to school, go to training, apprenticeship, that kind of stuff? So the answer to that is depends on how quickly you learn. Some people come to taxidermy from an art background, right? Went to art school or just are a really good artist. Um, some people like my mentor, he's a zoologist who has some amazing artistic skills, right? So it just really depends. I mean, I didn't, I didn't go to school for this. I, I, I teach at Occidental College. I don't even have an, a college degree. I don't know if they know that. No, they know that. <laughs> they do now. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, I forgot to tell them. Um, but, you know, people come from different things. But what I do have is, you know, I apprenticed at the museum under my mentor for several years. I got to work alongside Kimball Garrett, who's one of the world's leading ornithologists. Right. So I have a trade job. And people don't really, this is a trade job, even if you're working at the highest level. So, but does having a degree help? Oh, absolutely. That'll help you get hired and work at a museum or, you know, whatever it is. So, but it's certainly not required. Um, you could just be really good at it and really motivated and get a really good apprenticeship. That's kind of how things are done. I will say you do want to get an apprenticeship. Um, is the way to do it. And I've been lucky enough to have a great one, but I've also traveled and worked under other taxidermists all over the world. And I've had people come here to learn from me. We, we kind of touched on it a little bit, but and I know that obviously every single animal is going to be different, but let's say you get in a cat, dog, whatever. Like what, how do you do it? So with anything, let's say I get in um yeah, let's just go with a cat. So I'm like, let's say it's a bobcat. So I get in a bobcat, right? And it's frozen and it's dead. Initially, I need to take reference. So if you, so I have all these measurement sheets. And if you go to my Instagram and you scroll down, you'll see like a measurement sheet. And I'm measuring all these details on the face, the body, all of that. And I will also um, take a bunch of photos occasionally I'll take what's called a death mask. And what that is, is I'll make a very careful mold of the face and then take that mold off, fill it with plaster. And I have a replica of the face. So I'll do things like that. Um, and all of that reference is giving me a lot of information because now I'm going to take it apart, meaning now I'm going to remove the skin from the rest of the body of this bobcat. So, you know, I'll make an, an incision. There's a few different ways to skin a cat. There are four. Um, <laughs> and, um, and then I'll kind of, again, I'll, I'll peel the skin off like you're peeling an orange, right? And then I end up with a carcass um, and a skin that are separate. Many times I'll take the carcass and I'll take a tracing of it on like butcher paper. I'll take it apart, all of that. And then I will take the skin and the skin of that cat gets turned into leather. This is a chemical process that's known as tanning. So it just turns it into leather, just like your shoes or anything else, except it's got a face. Um, yeah, so that's turning into leather. And while that's being turned into leather, 
then I will take all of that reference I have and I will start to make what we call a form or a mannequin. So I need to replace everything that was inside, right? Um, in the pose that I want. So the skin's off in buckets being tanned, right? Now I've got a few different options. I can carve something. I can utilize all the, um, the reference that I have and I can hand carve something out of foam. It's a, a, um, a, a rigid foam. It's called polyurethane. It's like a styrofoam, only harder. And I can sculpt it that way. I can order what we call a commercial form. If you, there are taxidermy supply websites and you can get pretty close to the size and the pose that you want. And then someone like me would alter them, right? Like kind of cut it up, carve it a bit, chisel away. Um, once I feel like I've got a, a pretty good form, right? I'll take the skin and that'll go over the sculpture. I'll have hide paste in between the skin and the form. I'll have glass eyes. I'll put clay on, in the face, like in different ways to make different muscle, right? Create expression. And the whole thing gets sewn up and then I let it dry, right? And then it has a spa day, right? Just like you would groom a dog or something. I will take it and shampoo it, condition it, blow dry it off, everything like that. And like brush everything with a dog brush. And then there's finishing work. I'm going to paint certain things. You know, cats can have a cute little pinky red nose. I'll paint that, you know, all, all those different things. So that was a really short <laughs> description of, of how that would be done. First of all, that's fascinating. But why not use the bones? Like, why couldn't you use the bones in it? How come they don't? That's a great question. So they used to use the bones uh, up and until, until like the 1960s or so. Um, that was before we really were using any type of polymer, right, in this. Um, the bones are made of calcium, and over time they break down. So if you look at older taxidermy, you'll see sometimes it's like kind of collapsing in on itself, what they would do is take the bones and go over them with burlap and plaster. So over time, this will become brittle and it's also extremely heavy. So it's just, we don't need to use the bones. Huh. We can have an understanding of anatomy enough that the, the bones don't really need to be there. Does this taxidermy last that long? Taxidermy, yeah. I mean, I've repaired things, you know, or gone in the museum and done maintenance on some things that have been around since, yeah, like the 1800s. That should last a very long time. I really thought you were going to say like 20 years. That's no, really what I, I mean, thought it was. If something's done right, like there is taxidermy that only lasts 20 years yeah, because someone was like, we don't need to take off all the fat. Um, and then bugs come and eat it. Like that certainly happens. Um, but yeah, if you go, I mean, there's taxidermy from the 1800s, early 1900s, and some of it still looks amazing today. If you go to the Field Museum, there's a gentleman who's considered the father of modern taxidermy and dioramas named Carl Akeley. And his, I mean his taxidermy is there. It's from the late 1800s and it looks incredible. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So like, okay, when you're doing something, how accurate do you have to be? Say the nose on this animal is two inches. 
two in two point one five inches. Like, do you have to get it to two point one five inches? And if it's two point one four, that's not good enough. Or do you just have to get it pretty like where somebody can eyeball test? I mean, you know, it depends, right? So what is your viewing distance? So you want to get it as close as possible. But when you're working in a museum too, and let's say you're doing 40, 50 pieces for them and you're on a budget and whatever, you know, you can't always spend the amount of time on one piece that you would like to or whatever. Um, I work in millimeters. I get as close as I possibly can. When things dry, they shrink down a little bit. So you can't always control for certain things. But I mean, you should get, I mean, you're working with an organic specimen that would sit at a certain size. So you should be able to get pretty close. I mean, if you're far off the mark, then like, that's a problem. But if you're within a few millimeters, depending on what it is, I think that's very acceptable. Do you, I mean, this may be some of my personal feelings coming in there. Does it, does it ever feel weird? Like this was a living animal. Sometimes, um, you know, I, I certainly haven't lost my respect for every animal that comes in the door. Some things hit me harder than others, though. Um, you know, mountain lions, because they get hit by cars. When I get one of those, it kind of bums me out. Um, but because it's just such a, I mean, they're bigger than me. I'm a tiny lady. So a lot of times they're bigger than me. And it's just like, wow. And it, you kind of see how they died and all that. And, and knowing that it's because of of people is, is upsetting. Same with just like, I got in some albatross and they're just stunning dream birds of mine. Um, but y- you know, I think the real difference is, is I don't often take on pets um, just because it does feel different. There's an emotional weight to working on somebody's pet versus a wild animal. And there's a lot of time, you know, extra time you put into it with a domestic animal. And those, like, those, like, they hit me hard um, because I, you know, I love animals. I have dogs, the whole thing. And it just feels different. And, um, yeah, I'm kind of losing my words here, but it really does feel different when it's someone's pet. Putting all humbleness aside, why are you good at it, basically? Oh, why am I good at taxidermy? Um. You know, I think it's because I don't put a lot of ego into it. I'm really excited to learn. I'm always learning, right? I work in a lot of different animals. So every time I sit down, it's usually a different animal. I'm not cranking out like, you know, 50 pelicans a year. Like, no, yeah. I'm do this. It's all, it's all right. So if I'm not willing to learn uh, or keep learning, then all my birds are going to look like this one bird, all my mammals are going to look like that one mammal. So I have to keep evolving and keep learning. And I think another part of that is not just on this specimen, but there's a lot of people with way more experience than me. There's a lot of people with way more knowledge than me and more skill. And am I willing to put aside what I think that I know and actually learn from them? Um, So I, you know, I'm grateful every day to, allow myself to feel stupid and just listen to other people. You know, I think um, I'll do a lot of work on researching things. I'll do a lot of reaching out to other taxidermists and be like, hey, how did you get the blood out of this seagull? Like it's, you know, things like that. So yeah, just, just learning. 
Okay. Are you ready for some harder, harder slash listener submitted questions? Sure. Yeah. All taxidermists are pretty much batshit crazy. So really, yeah, myself included. Well, we all kind of work alone. Like you got to be pretty okay with being different. If you're going to sit down and work with dead animals, like you've got to really not give a shit what people think about you for starters. Um, That's true. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because everyone has their thing that they say. I mean, I've been called like Norman Bates, Cruella DeVille, like all of the, you know, I get all that. Everyone thinks like I'm a mortician. Um, so I think you got to be not care what people think about you if you're going to be a taxidermist. And then you actually have to be able to sit down and do the work of taking something completely apart just to put it back together again. And so it looks exactly the same, which is crazy when you think about it. Like what an odd thing to do. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of when you think about it, right? <laughs> like, Yeah. I'm doing a ton could, of work on this just so it looks like it did in the first place. God, you have so many good slogans for taxidermy. Taxidermy. We don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, back, but back to the uh, listener submitted questions. Easiest animal, hardest animal. Ooh, that's actually a really good question. Okay, so the easiest animal to do. Oh, you know what? Armadillo. I'm going to put a caveat on this hard animal to take apart, right? You get an armadillo and if you're familiar with them, right, they have these like shields going down their back. Annoyingly, they are connected to the spine. So you kind of have to hollow them out. Like you're like, you're hollowing out a watermelon or something, just not as juicy and way too stinky and they can have leprosy. So imagine a watermelon like that. You're welcome. Um, And then, but the, you know, so that's hard. But when you put them back together, they are, everything is shaped by that shield. So there's no feathers to groom. There's no hair to lay in the correct position, whatever. So, I mean, not that I would do this, but I have a theory. You could just fill them up with some spray insulation foam and call it a day. Um, in fact, I, I, you know what I say that? Like, it'd be a funny experiment. And I think they would look perfectly fine. And I, I'm not one to say things like that. I'm a perfectionist. But that has to be the easiest thing. What's the one where you're like, oh, my gosh. Mm, okay. Probably a really delicate bird um i would say like a dove a dove has a very thin skin so a dove if you were to skin something like let's say a jay just a blue jay they're they're pretty feisty and they have a really tough skin just the way that they are right um it's like wet um paper towel but a dove is like skinning wet one ply toilet paper. It's like, if you look at it wrong, it's just going to fall apart. In fact, holding the skin up, if you were just to hold the skin up, lift it, its own weight would break it. It's just extremely delicate. And then the feathers just want to fall out. So you can end up with a pretty big mess on your table and not a lot of bird. Is there one that like, is there an animal that like can't do it? I mean, I thought I wouldn't be able to do baby hummingbirds, but I did. I was surprised when those turned out. Um, And they're on my Instagram. They belong to Occidental College. I did little baby hummingbirds in a nest and the mom is like hovering and feeding them. And I'm really proud of that. That was, they're the size of insects. They're really small. Um, 
But yeah, I, I'm happy about those. Animal that made you go, oh my gosh, that's what this thing looks like when you opened it up. I mean, I'm going to take that back to the armadillo. Those are pretty weird when I opened it up. Um, but I will also say sea lion. So sea lions are a pinniped and they have the weirdest, like when I skinned out the, um, the flipper, one of the front feet of a sea lion, it looked like a human hand with the longest fingers you've ever seen, but so human looking. Oh, it was just, when I see the similarities, when I skin animals and I notice the similarities to humans, it's much more jarring than the differences. It's so neat. Yeah. I mean, we are all descended from eventually at some point, the same thing, right? It is kind of crazy. We're all the same machine. We're just configured in different ways. But if you look at the wing of a bird, it's the exact same bones as our hands and our arms, right? It's just, it's the same machine. It's just configured a little differently for whatever that machine is doing. Prehistoric animal you'd like a crack at? Uh, Archaeopteryx. It's like an ancient kind of, I'm going to get in trouble for this, but it's an ancient, it's like a paleo bird. But then the paleontologist dino people are like, no, it's a dinosaur. I don't know. I'm probably going to get yelled at by one or the other of them, but Archaeopteryx. So. For some reason, for some reason, I really thought you'd say woolly mammoth. I feel like that. Uh, they're just so elephant-like, and I feel like they're so well understood that, you know, I like a challenge. And that'd be really fun to do, but it would be really similar to – I would say an elephant of today, whereas an Archaeopteryx is like way different. And I'm such a bird nerd. I feel like if I didn't name a bird, it would just be, I'd be cheating on, on birds or something. <laughs> um, I don't know what that one is supposed to mean. Oh, this one just says, is this a growing or a shrinking industry? Are you asking if it's a dead art? Do you like me a little pun? Um, uh, it's growing, but I think the part of it – so what I think is shrinking is I think a lot of trophy hunting is shrinking. You're just not getting a lot of people out there hunting as much as you did. Um, but what I think is growing is people interested in learning about it for museums and art. Um I'm, I'm basing this anecdotally on the amount of students that I have. I was teaching through Atlas Obscura online, you know, during the pandemic, and I'll probably do that again. I had over 300 students in one of my classes from around the world. So 300 students willing to pay money to spend three consecutive Saturdays learning taxidermy online. That's crazy. I've also had the pleasure of going to Australia to teach, um, you know, 50 different students there. I've had, you know, I've taught over a thousand individual students in my in-person workshops. And if you just go on um, Instagram, uh, you know, that's where I mostly am. Um, There's so many, I mean, especially women um, getting into taxidermy that you didn't see before. So that, that's really starting to happen. And we're seeing a lot more diversity too. Okay, here's the question that you either always get asked or no one has ever asked you but always wonders this. Could you do this to a person? 
Yeah, I always get asked that. <laughs> I figured um, you'd want. <laughs> so, you know, my answer is this. Taxidermy of an animal looks best when that animal is covered in fur or feathers. Let's talk about why. If you have a leather handbag, it's been tanned just like a mammal skin would be tanned, right? It's gone through that same process I talked about before. It doesn't have fur on it, so it looks like leather. So if we take a person and we do that same process where we turn the skin to leather and it doesn't have fur on it, they're going to look like that handbag with eyes and a nose and a mouth, but the skin's going to look leathery, right? Oh, like a 70-year-old Florida retiree is what I'm imagining, just burned in the sun. Yes, exactly what I was thinking of. So it'll look like that. Um, There are some things you could do. There's a process called wax infiltration. It's similar to like the body world's thing where it's plastinization, you know, but it's a really difficult process. It's a very slow chemical process where essentially you're inundating the skin with a paraffin wax. So it'll look more like a wax museum situation. So you could do it, um, but it would take a long time, be very expensive. And then if it got too hot, they would melt a little. So I wouldn't want to do it. Do you get asked that question a lot? And how do you feel about getting asked that question? Like, do you worry about people because they constantly ask or do you feel like that's a natural part of people's curiosity? I mean, I feel like that's a natural part of people's curiosity because you're looking, you're like, can that happen to me? You you look at the animals and then you imagine your own body and what the process would look like on yourself. And so I actually like, I don't know. I think it's an interesting question. It tells me the person's like actually kind of thinking about it. They're internalizing it and thinking about it. That's pretty much all the questions I have. Is there anything else you think we missed or what's coming up next for you? Uh, I don't think we missed anything. I'll say like what's coming up next in my world. Uh, I'm going to be working on a couple different nature centers uh, in Orange County. I'm excited about that. I have a big backlog of work I need to catch up on before that because I was not someone that thrived in COVID. I was wildly depressed. (laughs) So, you know, so I'm catching up on all of that. And I'm very open about that because I see people on Instagram being like thriving in COVID. I'm just like, we did not. (laughs) But um, yeah, so I'm just here catching up on work and I have a new puppy. I mean, he's like nine months now, but I think he's still a puppy. He's giant. So, yeah. Okay. And then the world champion. Oh, I'll say this one last thing too. Um, And also I have in May, the world championships of taxidermy are coming up again. So I'm getting ready for that. I want to thank Alice so much for joining us. If you want to connect with her, we have linked to her on our social media sites. We're profoundly pointless on Instagram and Twitter, and we have also included her information in the episode description. Okay, now let's go ahead and bring in John Schull. If you could be stuffed like a taxidermist would stuff you after you die, would you want that to happen? I mean, of course not. Why would I want me to be stuffed in, I mean, only if it was like, I feel like it would be funny as a practical joke towards a few people in my life for maybe maybe like the one time but then like no one's gonna find it funny and then i'm just gonna be taxidermied in a corner somewhere forever that is true like right it'd probably be funny for about a week 
like, oh, shit, there's John. He's a stuffed animal now. And then, you know, you go back down in the basement. And you're like, oh, wait, he's just going to be there forever. That's that's quite creepy. I think the better question, like, how would you want to be stuffed? Would you want to be stuffed, like, in a weird pose or, like, with your, your mouth wide open? Or you would you just want to, like... Superman flying pose from the uh, ceiling. Like I would want to be hanging, like dangling down, like they do planes in museums. I would like to be dangling down with like Superman style or some sort of action. Like it depends how I died. Now, if I was killed by like a bear or something, I would like to be stuffed in that position of like frightened from the bear. Your wife's not going to want to like look at that every day because that's how you died. Yeah, I kind of want a three-part burial. I wouldn't mind being, like, stuffed for, like, a week in some kind of cool action-related pose. Then I would like to be buried so that people could visit me for, like, a year or two. And then just go ahead and cremate me once my family stops caring about me. I, I really just want one one burial, whatever it is. Okay, that's really the only question I got. What you got? Let's give some shout-outs, huh? Uh, we'll start off with Luke Skinner. Appreciate you. Uh, Sophia Stalford, Blake Nelson, Kellen Bango, Brittany Jones, Anna Klimova, Victor Bond, Jim Hoffman. I had to be careful. I almost said Jimmy Hoffa there. I don't think he listens. Uh, Sammy Jonas or Jonas and Natasha Posman. Appreciate all of you checking us out last week. And uh, check out our TikTok channel, which is pretty awesome. All right, uh, b- b- breakfast pastries, whether those are Pop-Tarts or or uh, any anything like that, any kind of puff pastry that you have in the morning. Do you prefer it to be warmed up or just eat it cold? Slightly warm is where I think bread is really excels. Uh, I don't really uh, heat up a lot of my bread or pastries. I'm just like an out-of-the-box kind of guy. Like, just give it to me at room temp. So if you're in a Zoom meeting and you have to fart, do you make sure that it's on mute yeah. and then just rip away? Or do you still try to kind of hold it silent? I'm usually a talking mute. Like I don't usually keep myself unmuted just, you know, because a lot of times I have the kids in the background and for two, just because I don't want to, I don't want that to happen per se. I don't want there to be a loud rip and somebody, you know, now no one's going to come out and say who, who just farted. But, you know, everyone's going to, in the back of their mind, be like, did Shoal just fucking let one go? You just know it. There really is an amazing, if you think about all the Zoom meetings that have been happening, there's a significant lack of fart noises in the Zoom meetings. You'd think there'd be a lot more. I mean, there actually hasn't even been that many viral moments out of how many Zoom meetings have happened and how many viral videos have come out. There aren't too many that I can think of. My uh, my second one is, uh, and that is, would you uh, would you rather live life knowing when and how you're going to die, uh, or would you just rather you know live life and it happens when it happens? If I knew exactly when and how I was going to die, then I would probably be a lot more reckless in my life, and I'd be like, well, <laughs> I know I'm not going to die doing this, so I'm just going to walk across the street. There's no point in me looking both ways. Or like, you want to go skydiving? Hell yeah, I want to go skydiving. You want to be a test pilot? Yeah, I'll be a test pilot. I'm not dying until I'm 85. See that gator right there? I'm going to jump in the lake because it's not going to kill me. That's not how I'm going to die. Right. I I would be the best daredevil in the world. 
But I don't think that excludes you of skydiving and being paralyzed from the neck down. Oh, that is true. I think the idea of knowing exactly when you were going to die would actually be much better because you could take more risks and you would know how much time that you had left. You'd be a little bit more motivated, especially if it was a lower number, especially if it was like, hey, 47. You wouldn't be dicking around at all. I, I guess I, I just would rather have it happen. I don't, I don't really want to know just because I don't want to know. But I also think I would live my life much more cautiously if I knew when it was. Just for the fact of like, you know, say I, I check it today and it goes, oh, hey, you're going to die when you're 44. Tell me I only have nine years to live, for God's sakes. But I think it would be the reverse if you knew when. I would live life more recklessly. Nah, I, I don't. I like I said. I think even if I knew, like I, that's all I would be thinking about would be that day. My wife would be like, "Hey, you want to come get come get yourself some, you know, milk and cookies?" And I'm gonna be like, "No," because I'm gonna die in two years. What's the point? First of all, is that how you actually refer to like sex with your wife as milk and cookies? <laughs> no, that Did was you a guys terrible, actually uh, say that. No. No, that that's a that was a terrible. Uh, no, but you know something that you said a long time ago when we first started this podcast about scheduling it. I'm almost to that point in my life to where you have to schedule it, and I I kind of hate myself for it right now. Oh, that happens. I'm on a schedule. My wife would always be like, "Hey, the washing machine is broken," and that was a cue because the washing machine is either upstairs or downstairs, depending on where we lived at that time. She'd be like, "Oh, the washing machine is broken." Oh, and then, of course, I would always forget and go up there like the washing machine actually was broken. Like, God damn it. I got to fix this. How much is this going to cost me all pissed off? And then I go up there and like, oh. But is the oh. washing machine not broken? That would be always my follow up. Like, right. <laughs> like the washing machine is actually OK, isn't it? OK. Legitimately more concerned about the washing machine. Uh, OK. All right. All right. All right. My uh, my my thing to bring up to you is uh, it, it's not necessarily a current event. It's more of a it's always, you know, it's always being thought of one way or the other. And that is uh, battery powered vehicles, electric vehicles. They sound fantastic, but I'm just curious from your professional standpoint. Do you think it makes any sense? To go on a trip, say from I, I don't know where, Michigan. Well, let's just say Michigan to Florida, because I know that's about twenty two hundred miles. If a battery lasts four hundred miles, and you have to stop, right, and you have to charge it for an hour or two, you're adding you're adding another what five hours onto your trip. Makes no sense to me. And then now I was reading an article that we have to have power grids. That might charge your battery while you're sitting at like stoplights. It just sounds like a terrible idea to me. This whole, you know, I think that we should look, I think you're right. I think that we should go back to just diesel. I think that we shouldn't have any sort of emissions regulations. I think that we should just be allowed to burn everything in our front yard and say, fuck this planet right into the ground. That's not what I said. That's what I think that we should be doing. Just burn this mother down. I, I I agree with emission standards and clean energy. I'm fine with that. I'm just the more I learn about the whole electric vehicle, uh, you know that that could be a reality for for us in in a few years. Um, it just I I, I just I don't know. I, I guess I I don't know enough about it. 
I think the one thing that you should always do is when you don't know anything enough about something, you should always form firm form a really hard and fast opinion. Yeah. That yeah. has nothing to do. Right. Like yeah. if you don't know anything about it, make sure to make your mind up completely. Well, the way that this country is going, if we can't even, you know, oh, here we go. If we can't get people vaccinated, how are we going to how are we all going to drive electric vehicle, ba- you know, or electric battery vehicles? Good luck. The, the, look, I, I'm a big believer to give you a serious answer to your question. I'm a big believer in the idea that the thing that you're always worried about is never the thing that actually becomes the problem. Right. So you're talking about going on a road trip from Michigan to Florida and you're going to take five extra hours getting there in your lifetime. How many times have you driven from Michigan to Florida? Give you a huge advantage and say, let's say you've done it 10 times. How many times have you driven from your house to the grocery store? Hundreds, thousands. Oh, I mean, like, so you're worried about we know the answer to that one. <laughs> Tens of thousands. <laughs> How many days have I been alive to go get that Ben <laughs> yeah. and Jerry's ice cream? Divide that by two, add one. Twice a day. I go to the grocery store twice a day. No, I mean, I think think it's going to be fine, right? Because the alternative is, look, here's what we can do. We can have to stop on a road trip to power up our car for an hour, or we can all drown. I I just hope we're not too far past that already to where we're going to drown anyways. But who knows? We'll we'll see what happens, you know? And then three article about body size might like drain the battery faster i don't know i'm just, just freaking out over here i can't look dude i that's what it really comes down to is you're worried about them charging you a little bit extra because you had a little bit extra at lunch <laughs> for the last 25 years um i keep waiting for them to charge people extra on airplanes man i can't wait for that well they it means no, my ticket's gonna go down they do though they they charge they charge they charge bigger people for two seats. Yeah, but I mean like when they do it on body weight, right? Like not I can't fit in the seat, but like you're a, you're 275 oh, well, pounds, right? Like you can fit into one. I mean, I, I you can. I mean, there's going to be so many discrimination lawsuits filed if people, that they start weighing you before you get on a plane. That'll never happen. What, what if they, okay. What if they had an option? It's like, okay, we can charge you extra based on your weight. Or you can go into the cargo hold. Would you go into the cargo hold? <laughs> I mean, I, I guess what? Can you give me some kind of amount? Like, what is it? Like, it's like an extra hundred bucks for, or let's, honored. Let's say an extra fifty dollars each way. Whew. That's a tough decision. I might be right? going to the cargo hold. I'd go to the I'd go to the cargo hold at one hundred and seventy pounds. Like that's yeah. an easy choice. Quite frankly, I'd rather be in the cargo hold. If I had a choice between flying in f- any class between besides first class and being in the cargo hold, I'd rather be in the cargo hold. Just sitting there laying on some boxes and do whatever the fuck you want, walk around, not to deal with anybody. Oh, it'd be fantastic. I don't think it's climate controlled though, is it? So it's going to be awful cold in there. I'll put a I mean, I'll put a coat on it. 40,000 feet, I'll be fine. I mean, I'm pretty sure you would die. But if they made it so that you wouldn't die, I would absolutely ride in the cargo hold of a plane. I mean, that's not, I'm I'm up for it. I, I would try it. All right, are you ready for? Are you all done? You ready for top I, five? I am, man. We're just moving along. We're just okay. So, kind of in the spirit of our of our guest, a taxidermist. <laughs> we're thinking about we're talking about the top five things you should always keep. What's your number five? Uh, we'll start. My number five. I have uh, like old T-shirts, like. Uh, like wrestling t-shirts, t-shirts from my past, 
you know, high school t-shirts, stuff like that. I draw, I, I agree with old, I agree with old t-shirts. I draw the line at high school things. If you still have your varsity letter jacket, you got problems, right? Like you are living in the glory days and it's time to move on. You have, I would make this argument that you have one week after high school graduation to throw away your high school letter jacket. You can't no. frame it. You can no, it had it you has to be thrown away within one week. I would honestly say if I was gonna be unreasonable, I would say the next day. I, I don't agree with that. I, I think you can have it. I, you know, like I, I have mine, it's down in my basement. Am I ever gonna wear it again? No. I don't well, I don't think I can fit into it for one. But I do I ever even look at it? No, but it's there. I'm I'm never going to throw it away. Is it hung up or is it in a box? It's hung up for now. It'll probably Ooh. go into a box soon, sooner than later, though, I would think. That's a little bit, right? I Look, I stand by my original statement. I think it needs to be thrown away. It's a little bit more concerning even that it's hung up, right? That puts you at a slight notch above if it was in a box and you didn't know where the box was. That That's just how I feel about it. I have no... I have nothing from my high school or college. I, I have some things. I've I probably have twenty articles of clothing from high school. I think. Uh oh, my number five is always keep your expectations low. That way, you will never be disappointed. Th- <laughs> oh my! So not even physical things. It's just uh, some. That is the only like non-physical thing. But I do feel like people should always keep their expectations pretty low. Yeah, I mean, I think that's I think that's fair. I think that's the damn girl at Dairy Queen that I I'm sure she did this on purpose. You know, didn't hand me my cone all the way and it dropped on the ground. Then wouldn't give me a refund. She didn't. Are you serious? Yeah, that happened. We we're need to tra- contact Dairy Queen about this. We were she the, dropped it, or you dropped it? We were in the drive-through. She said she put it in my hand, and I'm like, if it was, <laughs> it's a whole story. First off, I no offense, I'm not I'm not being, you know, Okay, I'm not, can we, before before you get going, can we set some parameters on this story? Number 1, what year did this happen in? Last year, during the Okay. Dur- when things started kind of reopening the first time during the pandemic. Okay, so this isn't before they invented customer service. <laughs> no. Did she actually put it in your hand? It, put it, it in it, your hand or like or did it just graze the fingers, right? It grazed the fingers, yes. What size was the cone? Medium. Was it soft serve or was it the scoops? Soft serve. Was there other things involved in the order? Yes. How many? Two. Also ice cream or are we talking about food stuffs? Ice cream. Okay. (laughs) Now, had you already collected those other items successfully, or were those items yet to be handed to you? Uh, those items, one of them had been handed to me. Okay, so you were one for one. Yeah. At the time. All right. Yep. So now, walk me through. Walk me through what happens. I just go to reach out, and she kind of hits one of my, one of my like my index finger, and she lets it go, and I don't grab it, and then I kind of look at her. Like, well, I mean, you know, that that sucks, but I, I guess I'll be getting another one. And then she's like, have a great day, sir. And I'm like, wait a second. I didn't, I, I, I didn't get my, 
And she's like, oh, well, if there's an issue, you should pull around and come inside. And at that point, like, I'm already fuming. I mean, I understand the mistake dropping it. I get it. It's fine. That's not what bothered me. What bothered me was the fact that you completely dismissed it from, from the first point. From the, you know. Um, so then I, I'm like, can't, if I come inside, can I get, I'm like, are we for sure? Like, I'm going to get another one. And she's like, well, I have to talk to my manager. And I was like, she what has is to talk to her manager. I'm like, what is okay. happening? Um, that so doesn't anyways, seem so, like a manager level decision. Is this? So I, is, but, but now, to be fair, John has a history of flipping off drive-through cameras. <laughs> I'll make this a long story short. I got pissed off. I drove out into the middle of the road. My wife got very angry at me, and uh, and that was that. I didn't get my cone, and I've never been back there since. Wow. Never been back to Dairy Queen or never been back to that specific Dairy Queen? I've never actually been back to a soft-serve ice cream place since last summer. Uh, number one, I feel like that's ridiculous. I feel like you're probably a little bit more to blame from the situation that you're going to go ahead and then, then, then you're admitting. But I would say that ultimately that seems to be a relatively simple thing that Dairy Queen should have just given you another ice cream cone. You, I mean, you would think, but... I mean, if I had gone inside, probably. I'm sure I would have gotten one. But I- Here's my question. Here's my question. If you were a smaller man, do you think that she would have been more or less likely to give you that ice cream cone? Do you think that she judged your need for that ice cream cone based upon your physical appearance? No, I'm not like 400 pounds. I'm just wondering if maybe in the back of her mind at some point she went, well, he doesn't need it. Uh, no, I think she was embarrassed and... uh and just wanted to get me out of there. Yeah, my number Damn, four man. is uh like old balls. Like uh like old baseballs, <laughs> old soccer balls, just old balls. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's I can't I don't I can I can't disagree with you on that one. You never know when you're gonna need old balls. They don't work as well as new balls, but they can still get the job done. Might be a few more wrinkles, a few more lines in them, but that doesn't matter. They still get the job done. Yeah, I agree. My number four is phone numbers. Okay, that's a go. You know, I didn't put that one. That's 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 a good thought, though. I, um, I feel like have, some numbers though need to be gone. On see, purpose. even those numbers though, I've never deleted any of those numbers. I've always kept all phone numbers. Now they might not be current. I've never changed them, or I've never messaged those people. But I still have the phone numbers of people that I probably shouldn't ever talk to again. I, I, I've gotten rid of the ones that I, I know I for sure should never talk to again. But there's probably still some questionable ones, I, I would imagine. Right. Do you have any phone numbers in your phone that are listed under a different name than their actual name? No one other than my wife, no. What do you have your wife down as? Uh, uh, a nickname. What is it? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> So, oh God! Please be I, so lame. Please be I, so lame. Uh, you're not gonna not let me say this, are you? No, I'm just gonna sit here and wait. It's uh, Wubba. <laughs> yep, that's that happened. You could be a grown man in a business <laughs> meeting, and somebody will see on your phone ringing. Wubba is calling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
John is a tender soul at his heart. He is a Thank tender, you. loving man at his heart, and he cannot hide that. And there's nothing wrong with that. I, you I just have to be willing to take some shots from your friends about it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Anyways, uh, are we at my number three yet? Um, yeah, we are. Uh, staying kind of on the sports theme, uh, I have ticket stubs, like old like concert stubs, ticket stubs. You know, you go to like a brewery or something, you know, you steal some coasters, things like that. Hmm. Okay. That's not my style, right? Like I would never personally do that, but I could understand why that would be something that some, a lot of people would want to keep. Yeah. Okay. I accept that answer. I actually feel like it could be a little bit higher in that <laughs> regard. Um, my number three is, uh, socks or t-shirts. Uh, I mean, obviously I agree with t-shirts, socks, socks and underwear. Something I think should be interchanged. You know, or, uh, or you know, you should take them out of service and replace them probably every three to six months, I would think. Yeah, but you can – what I'm saying is that they can be recycled into rags or various other things. I don't know what kind of socks you have. You probably still have those long, white, like, calf socks, don't you? No, I've got the little no-show socks. Well, I guess they're not cool that. anymore. Mine don't have a lot of protein stains on them like yours probably do. Uh, what's your number two? <laughs> Uh, alcohol bottles. Like, uh, I, oh, I, are you serious, dude? I do. I, I keep some beer bottles, uh, some, you know, whiskey jars or bottles, whatever you want to call them. This makes more sense now that you talk about, you still have your high school letter jacket, right? Do you still have, do you have a case of, do you have a beer cases stacked up in your garage? Like empty beer cases? No, but like, you know, no, but like, but like, uh, random rare beers that I've, I've, I've liked over the years. I'll keep the cans. I'm never going to have it again, but you know, that way I, I just have them for mementos. Okay. Okay. All right. Asshole. Not my, I mean, look, I just want to make sure you're not keeping like a bunch of cases of empty cases of Bud Light in your garage. Like, dude, this no, was football was... season last year. Look how many I got through. My <laughs> wife left two? me, but I can look at all these beer cases I got. <laughs> I'm am- I'm amending my list. Uh, my number two is I have originally had it written down is grocery bags. Any kind of grocery bag, whether it's a paper bag, a plastic bag, or like those little tote bag things that people have now, any of those, because they can be ye- reused for anything else. They're incredibly fucking handy. I usually recycle most of those things, but uh, I don't disagree with you. I mean, I, I, I sure, I'll say good number two. Okay, what's your number one? Uh, uh, just straight up childhood mementos, and that Ooh. for me, that's you know, pictures, toys, anything from your childhood that you just don't want to let go because it reminds you of a, you know, whatever of a certain time, a certain person, but specifically from your childhood. I I didn't have that on my list, but I had thought long and hard about putting that on there as having like stuffed animals or something from your childhood. Do you have a lot of, do you have things from your childhood? Yeah, I do. Um, uh, Some things, not a lot. You know, I have a couple of bears that, uh, you know, (laughs) you don't want to see what they look like, but you know, some stuffed bears, some wrestling figures, some, you know, sports cards, things like that. Just uh, mementos that remind me of my, my childhood. See, now I am not a memento person, but I wish that I would have been. I can honestly say that I have probably one 
I have one red chair from my childhood and a couple of stuffed animals that my kids now have. But other than that, I don't have anything. No pictures, no no nothing. That was not my family thing. Yeah, well, yeah, pictures. Pictures were actually a good one. I, I feel like I should have put pictures on the list. That's what that's it. what I was that's what I was going to amend my list is that honestly, okay, I think we can both agree that pictures should probably be number one. Yeah, pictures probably are. They it probably should be number one. Because, um, you know, kind of like what you just said, I grew up in a family that didn't take a lot of photos either. So, yeah, man, we're kind of ending this sad because our parents didn't love us. Uh, <laughs> what's your what's your Number one, besides pictures, your one number one that we had before we decided it probably should be pictures. I had childhood mementos was my number one. Oh, my number one was anything where you're cleaning and think to yourself, I'm never going to need that again. And then you throw it away because you will end up needing that within the next couple of days. All right. What's in your honorable mention? Uh, I don't really have an honorable. Like I said, it was hard. It was hard for me to come up with those five. Pictures was great. I, I should have put pictures on the list, but I didn't. Yeah, I should have had pictures on the list, and I didn't. I had video games. Um, I had cups. Nobody's ever thrown out a cup that still works, right? Have you ever thrown out a cup? No, not that I can think of. Not unless I break it. That's yeah, a good there's, one. I don't think anybody has ever thrown away a working cup. <laughs> yeah, I think you're absolutely correct. Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance... Leave a review. It really helps us out. We appreciate everybody who takes time to do it. And we'd love to know, what are some things that you think that you should always keep? Like, man, don't get rid of this. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.